Hi, friends. So uh, this week we are wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, obviously, we could spend a lot more time, and even in this passage, there's a lot more that I'd like to address and talk about, but it is time to move on. So let's begin by reading Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 20. Jesus says, Don't judge so that you won't be judged. You'll receive the same judgment you give. Whatever you deal out will be dealt out to you. Why do you see the splinter that is in your brother's or sister's eye, but you don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take that splinter out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You deceive yourself. First, take the log out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's or sister's eye. Don't give holy things to dogs, and don't throw your pearls in front of pigs. They'll stomp on the pearls and then turn around and attack you. Ask, and you will receive. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Who among you will give your children a stone if they ask for bread? Or give them a snake when they ask for fish. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, you should treat people in the same way that you want people to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. Go in through the narrow gate. The gate that leads to destruction is broad and the road wide. So many people enter through it. But the gate that leads to life is narrow, and the road difficult, so few people find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you dressed like sheep, but inside they are vicious wolves. You will know them by their fruit. Do people get bunches of grapes from thorny weeds, or do you get figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, and every rotten tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a rotten tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, you will know them by their fruit. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will get into the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. On the judgment day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and expel demons in your name and do lots of miracles in your name? And then I will tell them, I have never known you. Get away from me, you people who do as I've been thinking about the Sermon on the Mount and even today listening to the whole thing in one kind of go, it has struck me that over and over throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is expressing a deep concern for who we are on the inside. He has a concern that our actions and our right living are aligned with our hearts and minds. One of the words that Matthew seems very fond of in his gospel is hypocrite. Mark uses the word once. 
Luke uses it three times, and Matthew uses it 13. And it's almost always used in a way that speaks also of self-deception, of not knowing the truth about yourself. Like those who thought that they were doing miracles and prophesying and expelling demons in the name of Jesus, but who were not known by Jesus in the end. Remember that the word hypocrite literally means a person who puts on a mask to disguise themselves as they play a part in a drama. The hypocrite is the one who puts on the mask and then plays to the crowd, seeking their approval and their applause. And Jesus accuses the Pharisees of playing religion, but of not actually having their hearts and minds in the right place, which is a wild judgment of the Pharisees. It speaks to the deep and incredible reality of uh, an ability of our human heart to deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing the right thing when we're miles away from the heart of God. And so as I have been reading this passage and, and sitting in the Sermon on the Mount, I keep seeing that Jesus is addressing our hypocrisy, our play acting, then, and he is speaking to the direction of our hearts and our deep internal need for alignment. It's interesting that in the Sermon on the Mount, the I keeps coming up. It, it shows up first in Matthew 5, 29. Jesus says that if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, you should gouge it out and throw it away. In Matthew 6, 22, he says your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And now in Matthew 7, Jesus asks us, why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? You see, the eye in the ancient world was not just, maybe we say today, a window into the soul, but rather it was also considered to be a lamp. Uh, it released what was inside a person out into the world. This is where that idea of an evil eye comes from. You could release the darkness of the evil within you and send it out into somebody else through your eye. So in regards to money, in Matthew 6, the comment about the eye is not actually just a random change in topic. It's almost like Jesus is challenging this, this worldview, and he's saying, look at the world through the abundance of God and the generosity of God, and let that flow through you. As you see the world abundantly and generously, you will now live abundantly and generously in the world. However, if you view the world in darkness, in scarcity, in greed, then you will fill yourself with darkness and you will express out into the world a fear and a stinginess and a greed that is destructive to the world around you. If you let lust in through your eye, the fruit of darkness will grow and breed and it will come out as destruction. Matthew 5.14, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. This is the task, the mission of the follower of Jesus, to be filled with the light of God and to let that light out into the world. But what if you have a massive log stuck in your eye. What are you letting in to your eye with a log? What is coming out? The answer is nothing. The log of judgment will stop the light of God from entering into us and it will prevent us from being the light of the world. 
Gregory Boyd, pastor and theologian, has one of the best statements about judgment for the role of Christians. He says, look, if you read this passage, it's clearly forbidden for the Christian to judge other people. We as Christians are allowed one judgment of all people. It is simply this. They are the beloved of God for whom Christ died. That is the judgment allowed to us. Jesus has already told us to love our enemies. In the kingdom of God, there are not those people who are in and those people who are out. There are not friends and enemies. Rather, our enemies become our neighbors, and those that we have labeled as outside are seen as loved by God. The God who makes the sun rise on both the good and the evil and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. And I think the reason we are called not to judge others is this, is that we hope that a judge, when we judge, when somebody judges something, we hope that they are one who sees clearly. If we go to court, we hope that the impartial judge will stand there, will weigh the evidence, will see clearly what those two parties in disagreement may not see, and will be able to judge rightly and justly by seeing clearly. What Jesus tells us in this parable of the log and the speck is that none of us see clearly. You either have a log in your eye or a speck in your eye, but make no mistake, you don't see clearly. You cannot judge because your sight is distorted and broken. The genius of this parable of Jesus is that right after the command not to judge, we are told we all have something in our eyes. Only God judges rightly, justly, truly, because only God sees clearly. So why, why do we want to play judge? Why are we so tempted into this role? Can I suggest to you that at the root of most of our judgments about people is worry? Judging is just an expression of our worry and fear for that person or for ourselves. We make a judgment about people because we're worried about them. We, we worry about the way that they might fall into sin or live in sin. We're worried about the way that they might dishonor God or us or the church. We, we judge people for their moral failures because we think it will bring them back to God. We worry if we don't say something, they will walk away from God or something even worse will happen. But what if instead of worrying, what if instead of judging, we became people who entrusted them to God and we turned the focus onto ourselves and the things that are keeping us from seeing clearly. Have you ever had a sty in your eye? Like one of those little things that grows on the inside of your eyelid and it scratches and it, it hurts your eye as you're flat, right? The, the thing about a sty is that no one around you knows that you have a sty in your eye. The only way that anyone will ever know that there is a speck of something in your eye is if you come to them and you say, I have something in my eye. This is the fascinating thing about the parable that Jesus is teaching us. The only person who knows that there's a speck in their eye is the one who has a speck in their eye. The only way for it to be removed is for the person to come close to another and say, can you see something? The only way it works is if you pull off your play mask you draw close enough for someone to look deeply into your eye. 
Friends, that's the highest level of humility. Matthew 7, 15 to 19 plays this powerful warning about the danger of playing religion. There are those who externally look like a lamb, but have the hearts of a vicious wolf. They play prophet without the knowledge of God. Twice Jesus tells us that we will know these people by the fruit. We know what people are like by the life that they're living. Matthew doesn't use the word hypocrite here again. However, it's exactly what he's talking about. He is talking about those who disguise themselves as something other than what they are. And Jesus is gives the same challenge that John the Baptist gave back in Matthew 3, verse 8. He says, produce fruit that shows you have changed your heart and lives. So let me do the best to summarize this. Jesus is concerned with those who pretend to be religious while their hearts and lives do not produce the kind of fruit that shows that they are following after Jesus. Now, none of us are perfect. We all have something in our eye that keeps us from seeing clearly and from letting the light of God into us and shine out of us. So people respond to that in different ways. Some double down on the religious games, wolves in sheep's clothing, hypocrites playing religion, and judging others who don't play the game as well as them. And there are those who are marked with humility, entrusting others to God and seek the company of believers to help them see what is unnoticeable to everyone else. How do we produce that kind of humility? How do we live in that awareness? Psalm 139, 23, verse 24, the psalmist writes, Examine me, God. Look at my heart. Put me to the test knowing my anxious thoughts, look to see if there are any idolatrous ways in me, then lead me on the eternal path. Did you know that we know more about David than any other character in the Bible? More is written about his life than anyone else in the scriptures. And interspersed to the story of David are also the prayers of David. And so often when we pray, we pray things like, Lord, show me your glory. Reveal yourself to me. I want to see you and hear you and know you, God, which are great prayers. But David, in this psalm, teaches us a different sort of prayer. Rich Villadas writes that most of us want an awareness of God, but what we need in addition is an awareness of self. David's prayer is, Lord, show me me. The Reformed theologian John Calvin said, the knowledge of God and that of ourselves are connected. Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. There is a direct connection between our own self-awareness and our ability to know God and to be faithful people. We need to pray like David, not just that God would reveal himself to us, but that we would be able to see ourselves clearly. Psalm 19, 12 to 13 says, But can anyone know that they've accidentally done wrong? Clear me of any unknown sin and save your servant from willful sins. Don't let them rule me. Then I'll be completely blameless. I'll be innocent of wrongdoing. And the word blameless there does not mean sinless. Rather, the word means completeness or wholeness. It is translated in Psalm 18, verse 5, as integrity. 
So David prays, clear me of my unknown sins. Save me from willful sins. And then I will be a person of integrity, not a hypocrite, not a wolf in the clothing of a lamb, not a tree that produces no fruit. Also notice that David does not see sin limited only to morality or salvation, but it is also a power that holds people captive. It permeates and contaminates people. Sin is a power that holds us captive and requires that we be delivered. So let me paraphrase this psalm as my own sort of prayer. We pray, Lord, how can I know about all the sins lurking in my heart? Please, Jesus, wash me of any unknown sin and keep me, Lord, from deliberate sins. Don't let the powers of sin and death rule over me. Deliver me. Then I will be one who is full of integrity. So I I struggle to live in that kind of self-awareness. I'm the first to say I'm not a particularly large fan of introspection or looking inward. Honestly, I like to live life at a fairly surface level. But in particular, over the last number of months, I have been making space for this kind of work. I have increasingly become aware that if I do not spend time in silence to let God reveal things to me, I will never be able to live fully and deeply like he desires. I have to intentionally take time to slow down. To not be so busy that I can never look inward. If I want to be the kind of person who has integrity inside and out, if I don't want to just be the play actor wearing a mask, deceiving myself, I must enter into the work of self-examination. Jesus says that we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we don't even have a log in our eye, or that our miracles, our prophecies are somehow from him. Hypocrisy and self-deception are dangerous. They are real, and our eyes are not seeing clearly. I, I wonder if in this age of haste and hurry, if a slow, deeply self-examined life is not one of the most radical gifts that we can offer to our neighbor. In his book, The Deeply Formed Life, Rich Villados quotes the author Andre, Andres Ebert. Ebert remarked that many people are afraid of being swallowed up in themselves. And the quote goes, many avoid the path to self-knowledge because they are afraid of being swallowed up into their own abyss. But Christians have confidence that Christ has lived through all the abysses of human life, that he goes with us when we dare to engage in sincere confrontation with ourselves because God loves us unconditionally along with our dark sides. We don't need to dodge ourselves. In light of this love, the pain of self-knowledge can be at the same time the beginning of our healing. It's a little ironic that we think we can hide our dark sides from God or anyone else for that matter. Psalm 139 begins, Lord, you have examined me. You know me. Verse 3, it says of God, You study my traveling and my resting. You are thoroughly familiar with all my ways. Verse 11, If I said the darkness will definitely hide me, the night will become light around me. Even the darkness isn't too dark 
for you. You see, God is already quite aware of your shadow sides, the parts of our true self that we like to put the mask on and pretend that they don't exist, the part of ourselves that we might prefer to dodge and avoid. That's why I love the words of assurance that we often use after our confession of sins. We say Jesus knows our every weakness and loves us still. Our shadow sides, our inconsistencies, our bondage to sin, our wrongdoings are all well within the view of God, and he loves us still. This is the good news that we are called to awaken to. It's what makes the grace of Jesus amazing. It's not that we pulled one over on God and he doesn't know about our most inner hypocrisies. It's that he does know and he loves us still. We must be bold to travel the path of self-knowledge so that we can discover the healing and rescue of God. David invites God to examine him and to reveal to him where he is out of alignment with the ways of God's kingdom. Over and over and over, Matthew is hammering us with the call not to be like the Pharisees who put on a mask and judge those who don't live like they do. Instead, as I have sat with Matthew 7 this week, I have seen Jesus invite us to hand over our worries and judgment about other people to God, to let God be the one who judges rightly and justly and handle all of the judgments, and for us, in deep humility, consider how we might need God to help us see ourselves more clearly. So Jesus tells a story in Luke 18, 10 to 14. He says, two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words, God, I thank you that I am not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I receive tax collector stood at a distance. He wouldn't even lift his eyes toward heaven. Rather, he struck his chest and he said, God, show mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. The Pharisee's log in his eye keeps him from seeing the truth about himself and his neighbor. The tax collector, however, expresses a self-awareness of his need, and he calls to God for mercy, and he does not deceive himself. Friends, this is slow work. This is hard work. This is work that cannot be done alone. It requires us to take off our masks, to let others come close enough to see the speck in our eyes. It takes humility and self-awareness. It takes grace, and it is work that we must begin now. Some of you, if you follow me on Facebook, you know that a few weeks ago I, I um, broke the, the commandment that says, thou shalt not post angrily things on Facebook or something like that. And, uh, and, and I sinned. I was bumped, and what came out of me was unkind and untrue. It was admittedly, as I've reflected on it, disturbing to me. But that's what came out. Uh, so the next day, Rob texts 
me, and he says, did you mean to say what you said? And I responded like a grouchy child and said, yes, Rob, of course that's what I meant. I said it, didn't I? And Rob is great. He says, well, I'm not telling you to change anything. You can say whatever you want. I was just wondering if you're sure. The more I sat with that, the more uncomfortable I was with it. Is that what I want to sound like? Is that what's inside me? Is that consistent with the fruit of the Spirit that I pray is growing up inside of me? Is that a sign of integrity, of humility, of gentleness, of kindness? Is that, is that who I want to be? So it's really beautiful. Uh, what Rob did was incredible. It was not judging. He did not come and judge me. But he was in close enough proximity to me. He was able to walk with humility and humbly offer a mirror so that I could look at myself. And I could repent. I could move forward in freedom and integrity. Friends, that's what we're called to. We don't judge people. We, we, aware of our own brokenness inside, enter into the lives of others who let us come close enough. And we become transformed. We become set free. We become people who can say that we walk with integrity, with no more masks. Man, that sounds good. Let's hope and pray and do the work so that that can be true. Amen.